Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They win. Number three of the season, beating the Steelers 24-10. James Conner, 25 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Jonathan Gannon, what was it like to watch him on his old stopping grounds? Boy, he closed out the game. And, um, you know, I think he went over 100 with two touchdowns. You know, that's how he always plays, though. But uh, special for him, you know, coming back here home. McBride also a good game, eight receptions, 89 yards and a touchdown. By week now, home against the 49ers coming up next Sunday on December 17th. Suns split the weekend. 119-111, loser on uh, Friday to Denver. Beat Memphis 116-109 with Booker on Saturday. Book had 34-10 and was three assists shy of a triple-double. Frank Vogel, what do you see as a difference between Friday and Saturday night? Yeah, overall, uh, happy with the win. You know, our guys played a... Basically a heavyweight fight last night. Came in second night back-to-back and, uh, and toughed it out. Now Suns have a game that used to be unscheduled. It's the end or the tournament. It's the ter- in-season tournament. They take on the Lakers tomorrow night. Coyotes have welcomed in the last four Stanley Cup champions to Mullet Arena, and they've beaten them all on a four-game winning streak. They beat St. Louis 4-1. Alex Turini, how happy were you with a goal 40 seconds into the first period and with 40 seconds left in the first period? Oh, that's our best first, first period of the year, no doubt about it. I think with and without the puck, we had urgency. We had, we had a plan. We, we were focused. Really, I really like our first period, no doubt about it. Kerfoot had a goal and two assists. Ingram had 31 saves. They're now 4-2 and two in this crucial stretch of seven of eight games at home. They take on the Capitals tonight at home, 7 o'clock. U of A hoops beat Colgate 82-55. Omar Ballo looked better than ever, 13 points, 10 boards. Tommy Lloyd, what did you see? You know, he's, he's coming along, you know. I mean, I know... You know, everyone has, you know, high expectations for Umar because of the progress he's made. And, you know, I think he's playing really well and he's trending in the right direction. Take most of the week off. U of A hoops now a big game coming up Saturday against Wisconsin. Football-wise, they've been assigned to the Alamo Bowl where the Wildcats will take on Oklahoma. That game is December 28th. ASU Hoops, a winner, 72-61. Frankie Collins, 21 points, eight rebounds, and Bobby Hurley was thrilled with the defense. Did a good job of trying to speed them up there. Maybe it felt like there were six guys out there at times because we're really moving well and rotating with good pressure. Then football announced the hiring of Deron Reynolds to the D, to be the D-line coach. They did announce the hiring, however, of Marcus Arroyo as the new offensive coordinator. But Marcus did by tweeting out a picture of Sun Devil Stadium. All right. 
Here you go. Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama are the four that are in. Florida State's undefeated and didn't get in. Locally, our bowl games are Kansas, UNLV, and guaranteed rate. Liberty and Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. And finally, meet Sion and Jeffrey Edwards of England. Guess what they had in their front yard? A bomb. You see, poor Jeffrey has lived on this street since he was three years old. He's now 77. In the 1800s, the British Navy used to fire projectiles as target practice at some different sand pits. Well, he was over there when he was a young lad, found a shell, thought it was okay, put it into his yard. Come to find out his wife had been cleaning her trowel on the bomb and using it all the time as a garden decoration. A police officer saw it and said, we need to have that checked out. For the last 90 years, the bomb was still live. (laughs) It was destroyed and nobody was hurt. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedworldwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our Honky Tonk Brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. Here's a question that I don't understand. How does an email appear the night before? The email get forwarded to somebody else the night before. That somebody say that they don't have the email. Then when I look in my trash, the email is gone. It's not in the sent items either. And then 20 minutes later, there it is. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I didn't do anything about the court. 
I even had a reminder go off Saturday morning. Contact Klipsch, which is the, my, my favorite speaker company, to get a new cord, and I forgot. Got too busy, got too wrapped up into things. This email controversy is driving me nuts. So the Suns send me an e- send me a, a bunch of emails, and I want all of them, about news releases and uh, press conferences and all kinds of things. And I get an email yesterday with, the, with a link with the interview of Frank Vogel in the postgame. So I watch the interview. I watch Devin Booker. I take notes, and then I send a, a, a list of things that I want for the show to Jeff Weir Production. And he's going to cut it up for me. Okay, now we're ready to go. So Jeff texts me early this morning and says, I, I don't have the Vogel. What are, we, what are we doing with the Vogel? Did you send the email? I said, yes, I sent the email. It's, it's, it's in your inbox. It's not in his inbox. He does not have the email. Okay, no big deal. So I spent 20 minutes this morning looking through my sent items to find it so I can resend it. It's not there. Well, then it's got to be in the trash. So I look in my trash. It's not in the trash. So then I look across YouTube to find anybody who recorded the press conference so we can rip it off. It's not there. So I give up. So now I come into work for, for, you know, irritable that we don't have the Frank Vogel sound that I want for the show. I come in here and I sit down. I look through my trash and it's not there. I go do something else. I go back into my trash. There it is. Now, please explain this to me. Now, there's... There's not only that email, but there's a pregame press conference uh, meal. I think I said meal. Email. There's a pregame press conference email. There is a starting lineup email. There are four statistical emails. And there is a notes and quotes email. None of those were there either from the Suns until magically 15 minutes before the show. They're all in my trash. I specifically remember reading all of them and deleting all of them yesterday after I had used them. So how do they not appear in the trash? And how does the email never show up for, I mean, someone, Mr. Email God, explain that. I would like that. I'm really not in a bad mood, but that just kind of sticks in my crawl when I can't explain something. Well, mood-wise, I'm in in a good mood. Uh, Jacked up with how much I got done this weekend because this was a crazy crazy weekend uh sports wise with a lot to do coyotes had a game two suns games asu and u of a had basketball then you've got the uh, big 10 championship game the sec championship game the acc championship game and uh friday night's pac 12 championship game uh were all crazy and uh fantastic to watch so i was jacked up watching everything getting a lot done golfed on friday um, met a, a young girl named Madeline. This was an incredible. This was this blew me away. So Madeline was the cart girl at the wigwam on Friday, and uh, I'm talking to her for a little bit. And even though the progressive commercials make fun of people like me, I like to get to know people and and find out what's going on. So uh, I'm sure Madeline really loves it when the 50 year old guy talks about her physical stature. But Madeline is probably. Five, 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 six, maybe a buck fifteen. I mean, a small framed girl. And we ask, I, I ask her, what does she want to do? She looks me straight in the face, and I'm, I'm not going to get the exact quote right, but says something like uh, counterterrorism, espionage. 
just whoa so she has a bright future i think so i mean that's not something you make up jeff weir production i mean that was you just think about it you're talking to the car girl what do you want to be oh i'm sure this is sexist and someone's gonna get mad but oh i want to be a teacher oh i want to be this i mean it's just i've heard these responses for years and years and years and all i've never heard the car girls say counterterrorism espionage and look at me like I might be guilty of something. <laughs> I mean, she was, she had the death stare. And it's so funny because she had already been around uh, once or twice, as nice as can be, big smile. And then all of a sudden, when she answers the question, whoop, and it, it just, she was in mode all of a sudden. And I said, So are you like interested in being in the CIA? She says, Yes. And just like, it was like I was interviewing her all of a sudden. Man, I was intimidated. It was fantastic. And, uh, and then I told her, well, you know, I, I have the type of job where I know a lot of politicians. So I don't know if that helps, but I'd be, I'd be glad to help. And she goes, what do you do? And then I'm like, I don't know what to say. So I said, oh, I'm an out-of-work talk show host. <laughs> like, what do you? She goes, how can you help? I said, I don't really know. But you should have said, I'm in counterterrorism and espionage. Yeah, that's what I should have said. <laughs> exactly. I didn't, I, I didn't even think about that. I'm protecting this golf course. See this golf club? Um, you can tell I'm a bad golfer because I just held the golf club like a bat, a baseball bat. So that was, uh, that was, that was a highly entertaining moment of the weekend to, to have her uh, say that. And then she says she's lived here you know, in the Valley forever, and her dad's a, Suns fan, or a, a big sports fan. And I said, well, if you've lived here a long time and your dad's a sports fan, tell, tell him you met Doug from Doug and Wolf. And she says, I've heard of that. And I said, yeah, probably was in the car at some point when you didn't want it to be. And she goes, okay. I, I meet a lot of young girls that, that went to school listening to the show, and they didn't want to be listening to the show on the way to school. They wanted to listen to somebody, something else. And dad said, no, we're listening to this. And the worst was when Senator McCain set me up on this wonderful uh, tour of the Capitol, and a bunch of interns were taking us on the tour. And uh, and, and one intern at near the end kept she was grilling me all the time. What do I do? And I finally told her, and she just looks right at me. And she goes, "Oh yes, I hate you." <laughs> oh wow, my dad made us listen all the time. I'm sorry, like what do you say to that? She like she almost apologized after she said it. she just blurted it out without thinking about it. All right, so oh, and when I was golfing, this how crazy is this? When I was golfing, you know, you just get especially in the winter, you just get put with random people because the golf course is full. The guy I was golfing with lives a couple streets away from my little brother. My little brother lives in a town. I was going to say where he's from. Well, he's from my hometown, of course. But he lives in a town that's a suburb of Cincinnati. And this guy lives in the same suburb. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know where that is. That's like a couple blocks over from me. Oh, my gosh. That was like th- those types of things always amaze me. You've always heard it's a small world. But when it actually hits you in the face of the odds of this guy just happening to be put in being on a work vacation type of trip this week being on the west side golfing at one of the two golf courses i golf at and then being put into my threesome when i just signed up a week ahead of time and he signed up like a month ahead of time that's just that stuff amazes me jeff we production did you do anything thrilling this weekend um not really 
But I had a good weekend. It was a. Uh, it felt like a way more productive weekend than last weekend for sure. Hmm. So it was a good weekend. Yeah. Productive because you didn't do anything and you got rest, or productive because you accomplished stuff around the house. Both. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. I, I didn't do anything around the house other than obviously work while sitting on the recliner. Everything good with your daughter's school? Getting in? Everything's great. Good. She's doing fantastic. Congratulations. All Thank right. You. Um, sound credits today. The Arizona Cardinals gave us Jonathan Gannon and Kyler Murray. They they air their whole press conferences, so that's at azcardinals.com. Um, we got Tommy Lloyd uh, from the Arizona Wildcats YouTube channel. We got Bobby Hurley from Sun Devil Sources YouTube channel. Andre Turney and the Suns we got from their PR departments. Uh, I should say, let's try that again. We got Andre Turney from the Coyotes PR department. We got Frank Vogel from the Suns PR department. And uh, I'm pretty confident that that is it. Uh, by the way, it. Have, we have not announced the Friday grand prize winner for Week of Winners, correct? Is that coming up on main event today? It sure is. Well, that's pretty exciting. Uh, Sweet Lou of Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass is scheduled to stop by today and drop off the prizes. So you're supposed to get three wedges, a a foursome of golf at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass, and lunch at Civlik for all four of you. Now, I just want to be clear. If there's only two wedges, don't get that upset. Because I could use a wedge. <laughs> there's got to be like a finder's fee. You get two wedges. I, I, you know what I should have done is I should have built it as two wedges. You get two wedges, and then when Sweet Lou brought three, oh, you brought one extra. Well, I need a new wedge, too, so there may be one Oh, wedge. I see. We're, we're going to start <laughs> siphoning them off. I, that's not a bad plan. I mean, everybody still would have been excited if we said, you get a wedge. Like, oh, wow, okay. And then Jeff and I get a wedge. There we go. That's Why did I think of that? All right. Let's roll. Doug's big one. Doug's big one today is I'm just overwhelmed by the ignorance of the college football committee. It's it's just it's just heartbreaking to see a bunch of hypocritical fools affect college football to the level that they did. And you'll be shocked why I'm saying this. I'm not just going off because Florida State was left out of the college football playoff. I'm going off because of the hypocrisy of what this says by the group that they had. After watching the Alabama-Georgia game, it's clear that these were two of the best teams. So, if you're going to say Alabama belongs in over Florida State, why doesn't Georgia belong in? If Alabama's the fourth best team in the country, according to these people, and Georgia is undefeated, they lose by three points on a neutral site, why are you so sure they shouldn't be one of the top four teams and you put Florida State at five I mean that's the thing that's really dumb about this Uh, you only lose by three on a neutral site but Florida State's five Georgia's six now to a lot of you you're going to say I don't care who didn't get in between five and six neither of them get in my point is how can Alabama be above Florida State if Georgia isn't above Florida State it's only three points Secondly, it shows that the committee was gutless because they didn't want to take on the contest of should Texas be in or should Alabama be in. Texas beat Alabama earlier in the season 
and and, and I, I care about head-to-head. I do. But if we're going by the regular season matters, and that's why Texas is above Alabama, then why isn't Florida State in? The regular season matters. And if we're going by, you know what? We're going by who is the best teams right now. Well, then how is Georgia not above Texas? See, the hits. I don't care which way you want to argue. I don't even have a problem if you stand on the table and say, Doug, this is an outrage that Florida State got in or did, did not get in. Okay. I'm fine with that. I just get bent out of shape out of pure hypocrisy. There's no way you can end up with these four teams unless you're a hypocrite. Because you're either saying the regular season doesn't matter, and that's why Texas is above Alabama and Georgia. Or you're saying it does. I mean, see what I mean? I, this type of thing amazes me. It just amazes me that people sit in a room come up with this decision and nobody resigns like nobody walks out of that room and says i i can't be a part of your trash the other one let me bring up this let's look at michigan for a second i got some notes right here two and ten nine and four but in the mountain west Seven and five and finishing in third place in the mid-american conference eastern division behind the team that eats children and the first Ohio University. Six and six, five and seven, five and seven, three and nine, four and eight, four and eight. That's the beginning schedule of the Michigan Wolverines. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green State University, Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, who was 4-8, Purdue, who was 4-8. Then they played Penn State. Granted, Penn State is 10-2. But let me ask you something. Do you remember that huge game that James Franklin won at Penn State? Good, that makes one of us. Because I don't remember it. So I'm not going to give you that much credit. Okay, you beat 10-2 Penn State. Who, what does Penn State do? They, they never win big games. Then you beat 7-5 Maryland. Then you beat 11-1 Ohio State. Now, there's no doubt Ohio State is a good team. But are they a great team? Are they really an elite team? They have a really nice win over Notre Dame. Give them credit. And then look through most of Ohio State's schedule. They're winning by two, three, four points against mediocre to bad Big Ten teams. And then they played a 10-3 and Iowa team who did the same thing. Barely beat mediocre pen, uh, Big Ten teams. That was Iowa this year. I think I said Iowa State. Uh, Iowa. When I look at Florida State's schedule, they beat two SEC teams on the road this year. They played LSU, Southern Miss, who's bad. Boston College, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke. That whole block are all teams above 500 or better, except for Southern Mississippi. And then they played a bad Wake team and a bad Pitt team. And then a decent uh, Miami team had one of their dog games like the SEC does, even though it's uh, ACC, in playing North Alabama, and then took on Florida. When you look up and down the schedule – of Florida State and Michigan, both teams 
the opponents average about six wins a game. That's it. And yet, both teams also played three games against ranked opponents. And were all supposed to be blown away by Michigan. So the committee is telling us nobody is better than Michigan. I'm not saying the Big Ten is a dog conference, but I'm saying Michigan's schedule in the Big Ten was a dog. So they play nobody until Penn State. They have three ranked opponents, Penn State, Ohio State, and Iowa, and I think we can punch holes a little bit in the resumes of all three. And here is Florida State, who plays two SEC teams in their non-conference and plays three, a total of three ranked teams throughout the year. And you're saying Florida State shouldn't get in, but Michigan clearly is the best. This is what I mean by the hypocrisy. If we're going by the eye test, Alabama and Georgia have to be in. If we're not going by the eye test and it's only based on regular season results, Alabama shouldn't be in if, as, unless you make sure you have Texas and Florida State in. After you put Texas and Florida State in, then we can look at Alabama if we're only looking at regular season results. Which is it? This is the hypocrisy of these people that were in that room. They butchered it, and I hate that for kids. I just hate it for the kids of Florida State and even for the kids of of Georgia. Like, nobody's freaking out about Georgia because most people, and I get it, feel like, hey, win the game and you're in. So since you didn't win, don't cry and complain about it. Well, if that's your philosophy, then what about Florida State? (laughs) They won and didn't get in. Secondly, are you really saying that you guarantee if Georgia plays Michigan Saturday for the right as a play-in game to get into the tournament, Michigan's winning? No way. And if it's about the eye test and who's playing better at the end of the season, I'm highly confident, granted, opinionated, can't be proven, Georgia and Alabama beat Texas now. And the Big 12 is nowhere near as good as the other conferences that's why i that doug's big one today is just the hypocritical fools that keep moving the goalposts on these teams and 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 screwing kids namely the kids of florida state georgia now the one thing that it does say in the committee parameters that they can take injuries into account Okay, so Travis gets hurt, the Florida State quarterback, and they say now Florida State isn't as good. Therefore, you're not one of the top four teams. I don't on this one aspect. I don't blast the committee because the rules say you can do it. I blast whoever put that in the rules because we should be judging the teams based on their resume. I don't want the subjectivity of untrained people who don't watch nearly as much football as people that are scouts NFL general managers other than the last one for the Cardinals people like Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl if we want to have those people use the eye test and put the choose the top four teams I'm all in on that get qualified people that are actually trained in watching college players and projecting them into the NFL You want to do that? That's fine. That's great. But these yahoos that sat in a room, I'm not going to trust them. So therefore, I want them just to judge by resume. All I want is resume. And therefore, 
I would have Michigan, Washington, and Florida State in, and then we would start the debate between Alabama, Georgia, and Texas and figure out which one of those should be, uh, should be in. And we can have that debate all day long, all day long. Uh, personally, I, I would choose Alabama. And I understand that would get a lot of Texas fans upset because, hey, we beat them in the regular season. Well, now that we're all comparing one-loss teams, I would go in a different direction. I would say my eye test tells me Alabama's now better at the end of the year than Texas is at the end of the year. And I would also use the one loss and say, okay, who lost to the better team? Think about the three teams that Texas, Alabama, and Georgia lost to. Texas lost to Oklahoma, Alabama lost to Texas, Georgia lost to Alabama. I would actually eliminate Texas under that scenario. Now, keep in mind, I'm only doing this scenario with me putting all three undefeated teams in. Remember that. I put my three undefeated teams in. Now I'm arguing who's the last one. I'm going to go by who has the worst loss gets eliminated. And I would then knock out Texas because if the only team you lost to is Oklahoma, Oklahoma's not as good as Alabama and Georgia, and that's who Texas and Alabama lost to. Therefore, Texas, you're the one that's out. The stronger resume is with Alabama and Georgia because it's resume that put in Florida State for me, not injuries. How do you feel? I'm excited to see Town Hall Tuesday. I'd like a lot of you to weigh in on what you saw from the committee. The one, another opinion that I totally disagree with is everybody that uses 2024 as a reason to excuse the decisions made by these adults in 2023. I don't believe it when you just say, well, at least we don't have to worry about it next year. That doesn't do any good for the kids of Georgia now, for the kids of Florida State now. They don't have next year to look forward to. And everything can be different. This is this year. And I, I, I think that's wrong to just automatically project everything's going to be okay in the future. Um, and yes, I'll even be this passionate about the argument between 12 and 13 next year if the people in the room are this bad at their jobs as they were this year. As far as local bowls are concerned, I feel terrible for the Fiesta Bowl. I, I just, maybe it's going to be the most incredible thing in the world because you'll have some Oregon kids that either transfer or um, are getting ready for the NFL dra- draft and it'll lower their quality of play while a school like Liberty, who has never even dreamed of going to a quote-unquote BCS bowl game, now has their first chance at one. I mean, I if my Ohio Bobcats were ever in a Fiesta Bowl, I would lose my mind. I would have 15 people staying at my house, old college friends, buy a huge block of tickets, maybe even buy a suite, and we would have an incredible time. So I can't imagine maybe this will be one of the loudest and, 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 and high-ticket dollar items ever because of all the Liberty fans that are so excited to be in a BCS game. But I, I don't anticipate that happening at all. And I just feel bad for the Fiesta Bowl. They put on a good show, but I don't know how that game is going to be that entertaining because either Oregon is full and they kill Liberty 
or Oregon's a shell on themselves because of transfers and draft eligibility, and then Liberty comes in and it's a boring game and, you know, and, and Oregon barely wins. I don't know. I just don't see a lot of hype on that. And U of A fans, it was the worst secret in the world, but your trip to the Alamo Bowl, what a huge moment for your program. Because not only do you, and this is what you already knew, you get the extra bowl practices, which for a program that's trying to build something is just gold in your hand to be able to get your backups, your scout team, everybody in a lot of practices. They'll probably start practicing uh, this week and just kind of kick around, have a lot of scrimmages, have a lot of fun as they get ready. Their game isn't until December 28th. But then also, not only do you become a better team internally, but now you get to go to the uh, Texas. So now you're playing a bowl game in Texas, one of the more fertile places in all of America for high school football talent, and you get to drop your program right in there and say, hey, we're not only coming to the Big 12, but now we have a bowl game here in Texas. And really kick off your recruiting for the, not, not necessarily for 2024, but your recruiting for 2025 and 2026 can get a, a little bit of a better foothold by being put in the Alamo Bowl. And the Alamo Bowl is a well-paying bowl. You get a pretty good chunk of change. Not great that they have to share it with the conference, but you get a pretty good chunk of change. That was, yesterday, was a, it was kind of known, but it was a great day for, uh, for U of A fans. All right, let's get to Cardinals. Uh, that's coming up next. We've got kind of the shock of winning that game. And how should we take it if you're a Cardinals fan? When the Steelers laid the egg, but at least it was the Cardinals that cracked it. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Here is Sue Riggler on starting 100 Mile Brewing Company. The name 100 Mile Brewing Company, it's where you keep your beer freshest from production. So we have a 10 barrel brewing system and I don't want the beer to travel any more than a radius of 100 miles outside of where we produce it here in Tempe, Arizona. And I'm also a runner. I've been running 45 years, so it, 100 Miles has a play on, on that as well. The food, we have a full restaurant. It's elevated food for a brewery, and a local media has named us as the top 10 restaurants, places to eat in Tempe, Arizona. I've heard more than once from people that they say they dream about our burgers. So that's kind of a, I wouldn't dream about a burger, but okay. So if you are in the Unplugged Army, we need to be friends. There's thousands and thousands of you that I cannot wait to meet. So this is your spot. Doug's favorite beer. He likes a lot of them, but the favorite one is the A Mountain Amber Ale. So why don't you all come in? I invite you in. Ask for Sue. Ask for Todd. And we'll take really good care of you. I know it's a little bit difficult to understand this, but right now is a fantastic time to get a new air conditioner. Your AC unit has worked unbelievably hard in one of the hottest summers on record in the city of Phoenix. Well, right now, Parker & Sons has stocked up on air conditioners for the summer, and now the summer's over. So they're not nearly as expensive to get those units because they need to move them on. So you get that tremendous advantage on price. Now, if you're not sure if you need a new air conditioner, join the Parker family plan. We've been on the Parker family plan since about, oh, I don't know, a year or two after we moved here, and it's been fantastic. 
I totally believe they helped extend the life of our current unit by keeping it up to date with its warranty, warned us of pending doom, we admit, and eventually we got a new one from Parker and Sons and saved a lot of money because we were on the Parker family plan. Call 6022 Repair. That's 602, the number two. Then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. Whether I should be in celebratory, uh, what does that mean? Uh, kind of a celeb, um, celebratory is what kind of this advanced word that I was looking for. Should I be in a good mood or not? Should I party? <laughs> in, in watching the Cardinals, such a strange game. I have so many positive things to say about Drew Petzing because I really judge people by how they grow. And the offensive coordinator for the Cardinals had such a bad game last week, abandoning the run so quickly. And he not only established the run, but totally stayed with it against Pittsburgh. Also mixed in the quarterback quick slants and quick runs. There's no such thing as a quarterback quick slant. But the quick runs from Kyler Murray that really kept the defense off balance. And other than Froholt, the, uh, the um, offensive line played reasonably well. I mean, they, had, they really had their hands full, of course, with T.J. Watt when Watt was healthy. And, uh, and some of the other blitzes gave them trouble. Froholt had a really bad game. But everybody else, for the most part, I would say won a majority of their snaps. Connor was just so incredible in this game. So there's a lot of positives here. Uh, and, and then, oh my gosh, the defensive line for the Cardinals was fantastic. But th- some of the decisions by the Steelers and the actions of the Steelers kind of make you go, okay, well, how hard was it to win that game? Number one, before I look at Mike Tomlin, clearly the players had totally checked out. They got the job done against the Bengals the week before. They felt good about that. They know they've got a short week with the Patriots coming up. And not that the Patriots are any good this year, but it's still a short week, so you're already looking ahead to Thursday. And who knows, maybe some of the guys were already looking ahead to plans for the mini bye weekend that they have coming up. But they were so mentally checked out, which happens a lot of times when you have non-competitive people that have watched the film of a non-competitive team. Clearly, the Steelers came into this game expecting to see the the Cardinals of last week and thought, this game's going to be easy. Now, no, you don't mentally take the day off. Like, you don't actually think, as an NFL athlete, Cardinals stink, I'm not going to do my work. But it's clear they lacked situational focus. They, They lacked prep. And then I'll look at Mike Tomlin. I totally disagreed with the fourth down and goal situation decision to go for it. Not because of the analytics. I understand the analytics say go for it. I get that. I totally get that. 
I'm talking about the situation of the human beings that play the game when they see their quarterback laying on the ground. So if you didn't see the game yesterday, the Steelers, I, it looked like a quarterback draw. I don't think he, he was forced um, from the pocket. It, it could have been one of those where it wasn't uh, a, a called draw and the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in the middle of the play kind of changed it. I don't think that was the case. I think that, uh, that they called a draw, but I admit I'm not, uh, I'm not entirely sure. But then... You, you imagine yourself if you're a member of the Steelers and you see your quarterback, Pickett, laying there on the ground and you're wondering, okay, what's going on? Now, you put in the backup quarterback. Granted, there was no false start. There was no procedural penalty. But it's hard for a quarterback to come right into the game on fourth and one from the goal line and execute and have everybody on the same page. That's hard. Steelers did it, but it's a reason why I would not have gone for it. Secondly, are you really going to call on your backup quarterback to come in fourth and one and throw a pass? I, I don't think so, because maybe if I've got a veteran guy who I know is accurate but isn't a great, you know, clearly shouldn't be my starter, but I know his accuracy and I know the brilliance of his brain and he's going to read the defense well, Okay, maybe I'll have him throw it. Mitch Trubisky has already been fired by one team, and he's already, in a sense, been fired by you by demoting him. So if that's the case, don't I as a Cardinal defender or Nick Rollis as a Cardinals defensive coordinator, don't I know you're going to hand it off? I mean, there are so many things that can go wrong. So to me, this is not an analytics conversation of should the Steelers go for it against a two and at the time, well, I, I think at the time they were two and 10, against a two and 10 team at the goal line. Should you go for it against a two and 10 team at the goal line? 99% of the time, I think you should. Should you do it with a backup quarterback who hasn't played all game right after you just picked your other quarterback up off the turf and all the players had been looking at him? No. That's a time, kick the field goal, regroup, get your points, and then start Mitchell Trubisky in the next series. I thought that was a terrible mistake. And I'm not going to say that decision cost the game for the Steelers, But the Cardinals turning around and going on a 99-yard touchdown drive following that decision did. There's no way Mike Tomlin expected one of the worst offenses in the NFL to drive 99 yards. I get it. And I'm sure that was in his thinking. If we fail going for it, it's not like they're going to go 99 yards. And they did. And that's right in your face, Mike Tomlin. Bad decision. Let's get to Jonathan Gannon. He always likes to start with injuries, and then he gets rolling on what he thought. He kind of went through and admitted that he – I can't – I don't understand. Why did everybody miss the injury to Hernandez? Like Trent Green was saying on the broadcast, I don't know what happened to Hernandez until they saw the replay. Like how did you not see Hernandez ugh, get completely bent backwards? But he went through some of the injuries and then starts rolling on what he thought about the game. Good hard-fought game versus a really good team in a good environment. Um, all three phases, I thought, made plays to impact that game. Had some guys step up, make you know critical big-time plays. 
and um, I thought I really thought at the end of the half there um, where we ended up stopping them you know on the goal line and then <clears throat> offense to get it moving converted I don't know how many third downs but Michael Carter had one Higgins had one I think Trey had two put points on the board there knowing we're getting the ball at halftime there's a huge you know situational ball execution by us guys made a lot of plays and you know and then we uh, had to take away in the third quarter uh, and then punch that in and then uh, play clean enough to win. So good hard fought game. They had a lot of belief in themselves and we'll, we'll take a little time off here because of the bye and uh, get ready to go against San Francisco. Good stat that I, uh, I believe I ripped off from the paper, the Arizona Republic. You heard JG say there, I don't know how many third downs we converted. You're talking about the Arizona Cardinals, one of the worst third down offenses in football. And they went five for five on third down in that drive alone. The stat I got from the Republic is this is the first time that the Arizona Cardinals went five for five on third downs in one drive since 2001. 2001, September 11th. Diamondbacks winning the World Series. This is October of 2001. The Cardinals converted five third downs on one drive. Now they do it again. This team, of all teams, does it again. JG, what are you seeing from the guys? Yeah, honestly, when we got on a plane on Friday, I knew that's how it was going to go because the week of practice and the preparation from the team, the leadership in that locker room, nobody was down. Um, they believe in each other. That's what we talked about. Look to your left, look to your right. Don't don't let your teammate down. And uh, it showed up all week. And that's why we gave ourselves a chance to win tonight. There's so much credit that that's deserved for a lot of people i've mentioned it once i do want to give a little more because there's been some games this year where i thought drew petzing was undermanned and i didn't really have an opinion on it and then there were games where i kind of look at it and say okay drew last week is especially strong where you're undermanned uh, i get it but for you to see kyler murray is not adjusting well to the offense and abandon James Conner. Last week just made absolutely no sense to me. Unless, except for one reason. And I'm not going to call it tanking. But sometimes a coach doesn't care about the final result because they have other questions they need answered. And last week was one of those games where the game plan was so bad, it was almost as if they're saying, all right, let's run pro-style plays with pro-style reads, and let's see if Kyler Murray can go through his progressions correctly, get the pre-snap read, get the post-snap validation, get the ball out to the right person. And since Kyler failed so bad last week, it's almost as if they're saying, okay, now we know Kyler's not the quarterback of the future, versus doing a game plan that is what puts Kyler in the best position to win and what puts our team in the best position to win? Because you'd have to convince me with with the game plan of last week that if you think they were trying their best to beat the Rams, then I got to think Petsing's an idiot. I mean, and I don't want to think that. I don't know the man. But that, that, that game plan last week made no sense. This week, it was clearly about beat the Steelers. 
like look at Kyler's numbers. Kyler was only he only completed five passes to somebody not named McBride. All right. He goes 13 of 23, only 23 attempts, 145 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Uh, Kyler had a very up and down game. He doesn't get credit for some incomplete passes on deep balls that hit Rondale Moore in the hands. Who knows with those additional plays, with that additional confidence, with that additional momentum, if Kyler would have played better. There were also, I counted, five reads where he wasn't even looking at the correct person based on the pre-snap read, where he just he just doesn't see it, that, okay, in this coverage, I need to check here. This is the receiver that should be open and then doesn't even come over there. He's just kind of a robot for the play and doesn't understand what the defenses are doing and the defenses are taking, taking away. Now, in the postgame, Kyler immediately wanted to say, hey, wait a minute, this is, uh, this is, not a, this is only preseason game number three or four for me. So it's, it's almost like Kyler's still giving himself excuses. All right, fine. Have all the excuses you want. I don't want to drop the hammer on Kyler because, again, I don't know how much better he would have played if the receivers did their job and, and caught the passes that he did make good throws on. But on other plays, he had open receivers and, and he's throwing it at their feet or he's not seeing they, w- they were going to be open pre-snap, should have known they were going to be open and didn't get to them in his progression. That, that's, all, that's all on the quarterback. So it was up and down. But going back to Petzing, what was awesome about it is Petzing didn't put this game on Kyler Murray to win it. He put it on James Conner to win it. And to me, that's how this team can win games. JG, what did you think of James Conner? Yeah, I just gave him a game ball. I mean, he was lights out, you know. And, and honestly, they did a good – that's a, obviously a really good defense. Um, and I thought that the O-line, then we got – we kind of we – early you know it took some chances to get it going a little bit but boy he closed out the game and um, you know I think he went over 100 with two touchdowns you know that's how he always plays though but uh, special for him you know coming back here home Um, so glad for him to have a big time day that is really cool and you can really see the workhorse guys if uh, I'm sure you noticed this if you got a chance to watch the game yesterday, and if you didn't, I'd be glad to tell you about it, is that James Conner was just so truly celebrated by his teammates. Listen, I, I've been around the game for a little while, and I've been in a lot of locker rooms, and I don't want to say that I'm so close to these Cardinals players. There's a couple left. But COVID hurt all of us in the media of not being able to get close. And then when I got fired and the Cardinals found out that they that that I knew what I knew about what was going on inside the walls that no one's supposed to know about, they made sure to quickly block me from having an opportunity to get any closer. So I don't have relationships with all of the players now. I should say that. I never had relationships with all the players. But you know my point. I don't – it's only the guys that have been around for a long, long time that I could text and talk to and things like that. But when you don't really like a guy or some guys you like but you don't respect, that happens too in a locker room 
where, hey, I really like this guy, but I know he doesn't work hard and I know he doesn't give his all. So I like, you know, I have a beer with him. He's a fun guy, funny dancer, whatever. I'm not rooting against him, but I don't really count on him. You know, guys feel differently about other people all the time in the locker room. Well, you can see it when somebody like that does something well. Like, for an example, were you watching the game when Deontay Johnson did well for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Nobody celebrated in a gregarious way. No one from the Steelers was so happy for him. While any time James Conner scored or James Conner's on the bench after a good drive, man, every camera that was on him, guys are coming up to him like crazy. And then after the game, all the players wanted to celebrate with James Conner. Everybody made a beeline to James Conner. That really tells you something about that guy. I think a lot of you know the story, but in case you don't, from Erie, Pennsylvania, went to Pitt, diagnosed with cancer, is able to stay in shape while he's fighting off cancer, comes back to the Pittsburgh squad, then on top of it gets drafted by the Steelers. And if you don't know the way the Pittsburgh practice facility is built, it's hilarious. There's two doors. I think I have this right. The one on the right has a big P on it for Pitt. And the door on the left has a big Steelers logo. So it's basically turn right if you're in college, turn left if you're getting paid. I guess I shouldn't say that anymore. If you're right in college or turn left if you play for the Steelers, it's one or the other. And everybody's walking into the same area. And I think they used to. I think they still share kind of a lunch area where not really the food is shared, but like this area. So supposedly there's been plenty of times where a player from different teams are talking to each other or a coaching staff, things like that. That happens a lot in Pittsburgh. So here's James Conner playing for Pitt and then playing for the Steelers. So he loves that city, he loves that university, he loves that fan base, and then he comes back, has a day like that, and everybody's celebrating with him. His teammates are celebrating with him. That really shows you what the Cardinals players think of James Conner. Lastly, there's something going on here that could be magical, could be a problem. I'm going to try to go on the positive side of this. Kyler Murray completed only 13 passes in the game. But eight of them were to Trey McBride. McBride is closing in on becoming, this is this sounds hilarious, the greatest receiving tight end in Cardinals history. I mean, does that just like fly over your head when I say that? Wait, how can that possibly be true? That shows you, A, the ineptitude of the franchise, the ineptitude of drafting for the franchise, and the ineptitude of using good tight ends. But Trey McBride has a serious connection with Kyler. Now, as we watch film, there's a thing called all 22. That means it's a shot. It's a camera shot that's from the elevated goal line. And you see all 22 players and how they're moving. And from from the all 22, it does look like Kyler doesn't go through the reads. It's, it's Trey McBride open and trying to get him the ball. And from on one hand, that's not the worst thing in the world to try to get the ball to what might be your most sure-handed receiver. At the same time, if you're not going through progressions as you're supposed to, you're not moving safeties with your eyes, we're losing yards after the catch, things like that that could be happening. 
But it's not a knock on McBride. McBride's certainly playing outstanding. And even though I've been highly critical of Steve Kime and I don't back off of what I have been saying, that's a draft pick that it looks like he nailed. And Steve Kime deserves credit for that. Uh, JG, tell us about the connection uh, between Kyler and McBride and the performance of Trey. Yeah, I mean, he made a lot of plays. You know, Kyler found him a couple times there, a couple of third downs, a couple on mixed downs. You know, they, you know, Kyler got rolling and found him, and he made a couple big time catches there. That you know, obviously the touchdown, but a couple third downs, some had some explosives in there. I don't know how many, but he's a big time player, man. I don't know if that's just a coach yapping, but I, I'm not ready to say McBride is a big time player. I'm not ready to say he's a dog or something or his career is going downhill. I'm just not ready to say he's a big-time player. But I want to remember this moment of Jonathan Gannon saying it so we can kind of really keep an eye on this and how how Trey McBride continues to improve when he's now earned that tag from a coach because that's that's not something you just throw out there, uh, saying calling somebody a big-time player. So here is Kyler now. I've been pretty critical of Kyler Murray ever since I talked to a lot of people in in the uh, his teammates and talked to some people in the organization about his lack of leadership skills. But when you have a game like yesterday with the weather distractions, anybody who is in a leadership position gets credit. I wasn't in that locker room. I don't know how Kyler handled it. But supposedly the guys had a great mixture of being calm, patient, relaxed, comfortable with the game plan and working all at the same time while they were in the locker room. So since we don't know how Kyler handled the two long breaks, Kyler gets credit. The team came out focused both times, did great things both times, and as the weather got terrible, didn't allow it to distract them, which they've got a cold weather game coming up in Chicago. That really says something, that you were able to handle the weather at Pittsburgh. It'll be worse in Chicago. But what a strange day. If you didn't see the game, good sunshine in the first quarter, cloudy in the second quarter, and then horrific, I mean, just crazy downpour to end the second quarter. And the Cardinals were never phased by it. Then never really got the third quarter started, came out, ready to go, then had a lightning delay. Cardinals handle it, wait for a while, come back, and they're ready to go. You kind of got to give Kyler credit. When, a, when you're a captain, you're a leader, and the guys were focused every time. Kyler, how did the external factors help or hinder things, and what did you guys do in the locker room? Super proud of the guys. You know, uh, you know the external factors of having to deal with something like that. Uh, I was talking about what I was talking to with five years in the league, never having to, you know, really playing football in general, never having to do something like this. Um, but I'm super proud of the guys the way you know uh, the mentality coming out, coming back in, coming out, coming back in. Uh, they were, you know, they were all geeked up, all ready to go. Um, you know, there was no expectation other than coming out here with a win. So uh, to do that, with, with, you know, in the hostile environment that this is, great team. Uh, this is a huge win. I like the way you handle that. That's point one. Point two, Jeff Weir Production, don't play Kyler 2 yet. Will you replay Kyler 1 but stop it immediately after the whoosh? Could you do that for me? Just, just still shot of Kyler Murray? 
you know what type of kind of swing. Why did you let him borrow your coat and hat, Jeff? That's not my coat and hat. I don't, he looks like the Marshmallow Man or something. I was going Michelin. He's even got the tip on the hat, like a. I don't, it looks like a like an Indian hat, or like something. the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I I, uh, I saw the getup, and I just I, got, <laughs> I had to watch the Kyler Murray press conference. I I didn't have to watch the whole thing twice, but I missed the first ninety seconds of the press conference, just staring at that and thinking, what 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 are we doing? It shows you what I just don't understand. I, I just don't get anything in life right now. And I never want to be the old guy on the lawn. But number one, if I've got all of this free Cardinals gear that they just hand out, well, t- other teams more than the Cardinals, I- I'm wearing the free stuff bec- uh, as long as I'm just walking to a plane. Uh, then secondly, is it that cold in there? I mean... It- if, can the NFL not afford heat in Pittsburgh for the press conference room? I just, I just, I saw that and I, I had so many thoughts going into my head. And then I couldn't tell if it's the lighting. But does it look to any of you like it's a white coat with some kind of aqua teal swirl in it? it I see that too. It's on the, the, the right sleeve and the left sleeve. On the right sleeve, yeah. it kind of goes down his bicep a little bit, but it's the full left sleeve. Yeah, and then it's also on his chest a little bit on, yeah. on his right side. Okay, our left, his right. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that was a, <laughs> you know the red dress, blue dress, or weird kind of thing, whatever that dress thing was, when everybody says, what color is this dress? And like 80% of us know what color the dress and twenty of you are twenty percent of you were fools. Uh, I just I just never understood that. But I wanted to make sure I wasn't falling into some kind of teal trap there. All right, the the biggest sequence of the game clearly, the poor decision of Mike Tomlin to go for it on a fourth and one with a backup quarterback, the play by Strong and the defensive line to get the stop, then the ninety nine yard drive. That was fantastic. That was to me the single best moment of the season. Even the even versus the Dallas win, to get that stop and to get that drive was just phenomenal football. Kyler, tell us about the 99-yard drive in which you converted five third downs. Yeah, we, know, we know what type of kind of swing that you know does for a team. You know, that's kind of a not demoralizing in a sense, but to go 99 yards and put it in the end zone is tough. You know, especially when they got we got a goal line stop. So to shift the momentum right there uh, was pretty big for us to go out there and just execute. You know, just execute. The the thing there that I like about where Kyler's going. I, number one, Kyler has shown since between the draft and this year, he doesn't understand how being good in a press conference can show leadership not for us who cares about the media okay you are the face of the franchise you can lead your teammates your franchise and even your fan base by the way you handle pressers and for the first four years of his career he was pretty bad at it this is another example of him getting better and better and better because the questions are about that is about the 99-yard drive. The question is about converting five third downs. And he makes sure to talk about not only the defense's stop, but also it's kind of funny. It's almost a window into his soul when he started that quote by saying, we know how demoralizing it is. 
because, well, actually, Kyler, a lot of the guys don't get demoralized by it. Some of them, because of a negative reason, they don't care. Others know how to compartmentalize and move on and not let it demoralize them. What happened in the past is not going to affect my effort on this play. Kyler's the one that can get so beaten down, at least in the past, get so beaten down in a game that now he starts chucking and ducking. He starts bailing too early. He doesn't go through his progressions anymore because he's demoralized and he feels like this is never going to work out. And he's not the same player anymore. You can get into Kyler's head. And he basically just opened up about it, which is, uh, which is kind of funny to me. But he still handled his press conference well and looked good. Okay, now what for the Cardinals? Got the bye week. It is crazy. It's the latest bye week they've ever had. So that's, that's a little unfair to the team to have to deal with that and, and go this long. If you're a playoff team, man, it's fantastic. Have a good season going on now take a break and get rested up for the last four weeks of the season they got four games left people like me guaranteed on the world that they were going to be under the four and a half wins starting at the beginning of the season I even said they'd be under the three and a half the line originally started at three and a half got moved to four and a half at the beginning of the season and I was all over the four and a half well now the ending schedule for the Arizona Cardinals is still a pretty good challenge to get there if you're going to get the over to get to the five wins. Home against San Francisco after the bye, we assume that's a loss. At Chicago, that's interesting because I actually think the Cardinals are a better team than the Bears. I'm embarrassed to say that. But you have the weather to deal with. And a warm weather team running out the string on a bad season is not going to put forth all of the effort, or so I would have thought, against a team like the Bears. But they did it against Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh's a, a playoff-bound team as of right now. They were 7-4 and four going into the game. There's a lot of reasons for being up for the game, and the Steelers certainly were totally checked out of the game. But the distractions of the weather were overcome by the Cardinals. The players were mentally tough enough that they didn't play the game with the attitude, I can't wait to get back on the bus, get on the plane, and get home to the warm weather of Phoenix. They didn't play like that. They played like a focused team against the Steelers. So now you look at the Bears game, and I kind of feel like, hey, that's, that's a Cardinals win. The catch is also Christmas Eve. You don't really like traveling and playing a game on Christmas Eve. Then they're home again, or they're on the road at Philly, loss. Then they're at home against Seattle, and Seattle could be in the fight of their life for a playoff bid. And that's your last game when a lot of guys in a losing season are kind of checked out. So I look the rest of the way. I see one and three the rest of the way, which will get them right at the four wins, which would keep them under the four and a half. But above the three and a half, if you took it early, when earlier in the year it was at three and a half. So it's interesting to look at that the rest of the way. All right, that does it for Cardinals. Coming up next, 
The Suns had back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Big difference between those two games. And the Coyotes have won four straight against the last four Stanley Cup champions. Plus a little bit of ASU news. And I just got a text from an ASU source and I didn't look at it. So let's see if I can tell you anything or learned anything. That's coming up next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Yeah, overall, uh, happy with the win. You know, our guys played a basically a heavyweight fight last night. Came in second night of back-to-back and, uh, and toughed it out. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally, we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now it's big it's juicy it's meaty get your burrito at burrito express if you're having a hangover a bad day even a good day still get your burrito at burrito express it will make you feel better trying to look up something in time and eh, i failed (laughs) Thanks for watching. Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Sorry I moved in my chair. That had to drive you crazy a little bit, uh, Jeff Weir Production. Jeff Weir Production worked so hard at the beginning of the show, getting the camera perfectly straight, and then I move around all over the place. And okay. every everything that he has set up then uh, doesn't happen or is uh, is all changed. I just got a text. Uh, the text was not a secret source information. It was a question that I had asked last night and uh the person that i asked did not know said i'll text you in the morning and then i got the answer so i'll just tell you it's diron there you go if you're wondering did you were you wondering that jeff i was kind of wondering but yeah. is he watching the show no he's not no oh. uh it's diron if you're wondering diron it's kind of weird to say that the new defensive line coach for asu his first name is d-i-r-o-n and i didn't know if it was Duron, if it was uh dare just simply darren i i wasn't quite sure so it's you say the word die but you don't uh uh accent it so it's uh, the ron has more of an emphasis on it so it's Diron like that. So Diron, uh, Diron. And see, I want to say Diron. Like I want to say die. You know, hard and fast. And it's no, no, no. The die isn't hard and fast. The Ron is hard and fast. So he's the new D line coach. And then the uh, the offensive coordinator situation for ASU is kind of funny. It's Marcus Arroyo, but he hasn't been announced yet. He tweeted out a picture of Sun Devil Stadium before the announcement. And Kenny Dillingham tweeted out, it's a good day, and retweeted the tweet. So we're, we're kind of assuming there's your new offensive coordinator. Uh, Suns-wise, they were a loser to the Nuggets 116-111 on Friday. A winner against Memphis 116-109 on Saturday. Booker did not play Friday. They lose. He did play Saturday. They win. Booker was three assists shy of a triple-double, went for 34-10-7 against Memphis. Let's first talk about the Nuggets game on Friday. 
you do not lose games because of officiating. The defense by the Suns in the first quarter was, other than Nurkic trying, was was pretty atrocious. A lot of guys were slow on their closeouts. It was almost like they didn't seriously read the game plan. I didn't feel like the guys were prepared, and I didn't understand how that could be the case against the defending world champions. How do you not make sure everybody knows their assignments. I don't know what happened, but the beginning of that game was bad. And then the Suns played so much better the rest of the way, tried to fight back into the game and and necessarily couldn't, kept getting within. It's like maybe they tied it early or late in the third. They'd be down by three in the fourth, but could never get over the hump. I want to say that first. Suns lost the game. Suns lost the game. Come out execute your defense better, and then we're not talking about the officiating. But I always look at officiating as a third team. I think it's wrong to argue that the officials cost somebody a game. You can blow a call three seconds left that takes away a field goal, takes away a last-second shot, takes away – okay, that happens. But there were all kinds of things that occurred in the previous 59 minutes – previous 47 minutes, previous whatever, four, seven innings, whatever, that could have you could have done better to win the game. So when I, when I tell you this about this Denver game, the referees did not lose the game for the Suns. But the refs were by far the worst team on the court. And I just, I'll never understand why the NBA thinks that's okay. The NBA is such a terribly officiated league. And I, I don't get it. Like, a lot of people argue NFL referees should be full-time, okay? Argue that all the time. I hear that argument. I'm not really disagreeing with you. I admit I, I don't care that much. But I don't necessarily disagree with you if you think they should be full-time refs. But I don't think that solves it. Because watch the NBA. How often you have officiating this bad in the NBA and it's accepted. And I know if, uh, like, I think we would both assume Adam Silver does not watch Doug Franz Unplugged, okay? I get it. But if he was watching right now, he would be losing his mind. Not at me attacking the officiating. He would be upset that I'm even insinuating that the NBA doesn't care. I'm not insinuating it. I'm stating it as fact even though I admit I have no proof in the sense of like you're trying to coach guys the wrong way. I'm just stating it as when you watch as many NBA games as a hardcore NBA analyst does, and I'm not at the level of, of other guys in the NBA by any stretch of the imagination, but when you watch it as much as I do and you see game in and game out, how many games are poorly officiated? When I say poorly officiated, I don't mean you miss a call. I mean, when so many things changed, there was a play in which Nurkic got shoved in the back, elbow in the back by um, Jokic. So you've decided that's not a foul. Okay. Then, as soon as Nurkic backs into Jokic, Jokic flops and it's a charge. So it's okay for elbow in the back, shove him over. And you're rewarding the flop because if Nurkic would have taken that elbow and immediately faked like he tripped and fell over, then you're saying you would have called a foul on Jokic? I don't think you would have. 
I think if you, if Nurkic goes down when Jokic pokes him in the back, pushes him in the back, I think you would have called a travel. Maybe not. But you would have taken Jokic over Nurkic. So you're giving Jokic the benefit of the doubt because he's the MVP, the all-star, and that's the way the NBA has been officiated for years. Okay, then why wasn't Kevin Durant getting those calls? That's, that's what was the hypocrisy of that game Friday night. Jokic is getting the calls. Kevin Durant is not. If, I'm, if you and I are having a conversation, let me be the first one to tell you. I hate that the NBA does that. I hate that the name on the back of the jersey matters more than the name on the front of the jersey. And a lot of times the name on the front of the jersey matters too. I don't think LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Dr. J, Larry Bird, Magic. I don't think these guys should be getting the calls. It's either a foul or it's not. Irrelevant of the skill level of the human being. It's either a foul or it's not. But that's not what they do. Okay. I have to accept that's not what they do because they've been doing it that way for almost the entire history of the NBA. So if we've accepted stars get the calls, then why is Jokic getting the calls and Duran is not? I mean, blatant smacks on the forearm and they weren't being called on Duran. Now, just in case you don't know the rule, if you know uh, blocking a punt, very similar. Okay, if you rush the punter, you block the punt and then you maul the punter afterwards. That's legal because you hit the ball. If you miss the ball and hit the punter, it's now roughing the punter. It's kind of the same way in basketball. If you go up for a block shot and barely touch the ball and then come down on somebody's arm, you've actually come down not on a shooter anymore. Once you got the block, it becomes a loose ball. And unless you grab their arm and yank it down for a loose ball foul, it's not a foul. It's just loose ball contact, the ball's up, everybody's going for it. Even though your intent was to block it and you hit his arm, you got the ball, therefore it's a loose ball. If you miss the ball, now he's still in his shooting motion. So if you hit his arm, you've hit his arm in the shooting motion, they go to the free throw line. You could try to argue that, hey, maybe the ref missed the fact that the ball was missed on a couple block shot attempts and they hit Kevin Durant. Okay, maybe. But look at the trajectory of the ball and how off the ball was. In those situations, that should tell you what a terrible shot it was. And that had to be a foul because it's Kevin Durant. So there's the name on the back of the jersey. See the hypocrisy? The referees gave the calls to Jokic, didn't give the calls to Durant. I don't understand that at all. And that had a lot to do with why the Suns struggled in not being able to complete the comeback. Again, I'm not blaming refs. I'm bringing up a separate topic of NBA. Why don't you care? Why do NBA refs not get evaluated? And before you say, oh, they get evaluated, then why don't we know about it? Why are you afraid to tell us? Why are you afraid to rank the referees? You print up the standings. Every day there's an NBA page of standings. You know the standings of every team. You tell us the all-star voting and who ranks where. You list the statistical leaders of the players. Yet, why don't we see the top 20 refs, the top 25 officials? Why are you afraid to do that? Why should the players bear that brunt, but the referees don't? That's because you're afraid or you already know that you don't have good refs and you don't train them well enough. I don't know which one it is, but that game was an embarrassment. 
Saturday, a lot better. Katie and Book both on the floor. Katie, 10 of 14 on the night. He looked really, really good. Uh, here's Frank Vogel talking. It's kind of funny. Dwayne Rankin of the uh, Arizona Republic asked a question about the nice win, the bounce back, but then brought up how ugly the end of the game was. It was a horribly boring end of the game Saturday night lots of fouls lots of turnovers Memphis hitting miracle shots getting themselves back in the game just sloppy way to end the game so Dwayne brought that up the sloppiness at the end listen to Frank Vogel's answer addressing the win addressing the back-to-back nights and never talking about the sloppy overall uh, happy with the win you know I got our guys played a Basically a heavyweight fight last night. Came in second night of back to back and uh, and toughed it out. Um, you could tell there was some fatigue, you know, with the just the focus and, and energy. Uh, but I thought uh, Joshua Kogi really helped us in that regard. You know, I thought he really impacted the game uh, without scoring. Um, you know, just making a lot of hustle and energy plays, and you know that stuff was contagious. I was proud of uh, how Kevin responded. Okay, and played a really solid, efficient uh, offensive night. Uh, Book gave us a big lift, obviously coming back, and uh, happy to get the W. That was weird. Did you see, if you're not watching right now on WTSM, first of all, thanks. I still need all the downloads I can get. I would still like you to run for extra credit and be able to download on Amazon, Google, Spotify, um, Apple, TuneIn, wherever it is that you get your podcast. And if you already get it on one, I'd love for you to hit play every now and then on the other ones. I need all the downloads I can get. But if you are watching right here on WTSMTV.com, where you can see uh, Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass in a live version, as soon as Jeff Weir Production stopped that video, Frank Vogel goes... It just, you know, people get frozen at bad moments, and he had this goofy look on his face with his eyes staring out the corner of his head. I'm glad he, he, there's two things there that he mentioned that I think are important. Talking about the bounce back of KD, Kevin Durant missed a lot of good shots. I think he allowed the officiating against Denver to frustrate him. He had, he got fouled on a lot of shots, but then. The shots that he wasn't fouled on, it was almost as if he was shooting, waiting for the foul and not shooting with a purity of motion. So he had a very poor shooting game against Denver. Comes back against Memphis and goes 10 for 14. It's one of those games where you really admire, especially if you're a teammate, where you see that's what a superstar does. A superstar accepts the responsibility of the night before, works hard the next day, tries to tweak some things or just get into the repetitions and too many people think they're practicing while they're practicing but they don't practice at a game speed it other than possibly like learning the offense learning the sets maybe you have defensive sets and you want to do walkthroughs and you learn them slowly Okay, that's to build. They have the building blocks of knowledge. Go through it slowly. I get that. But when we're talking about the mechanics of your shot, the mechanics of your swing, the mechanics of football, whatever it is, if you're not practicing it at game speed, even if it's just you and a coach, you're not really getting the reps. It's not real. Because as soon as you get hyped up with energy, now the shot's going to be too long. Or you're not going to be able to fight through the contact aggressively and then slow down after the contact and be able to complete the shot. 
different things like that change if you're practicing differently than you're playing. And a guy like Kevin Durant, I'm sure, did whatever he could Saturday morning to practice at game speed or practice in the pregame at a game speed at some point, maybe not at the very beginning, but at some point to make sure he's simulating the game and getting the shot back. And then the comments from Vogel on Akogi were outstanding because, man, is it a joy to watch him play. The only thing left for him is to be able to keep that intensity and energy without getting out of control. Sometimes he starts going nuts. And then he starts losing open guys. He's not making the hockey assist. He's not making the last pass. And he needs to be able to keep that hype, keep that excitement, keep that energy, fight for loose balls, be the monster on the glass, even though he's from the backcourt as he is. Do all of those things, but also see the court. Sometimes you get the Josh Akogi that sees the court. Sometimes you get the Josh Akogi that's Mr. Energy. They're both good Josh Akogis. But we need to try to get J.O. to be able to put those two things together at the same time. And I like the way Frank Vogel noticed that. Uh, Booker, 34 points uh, in the game. He was three assists shy of a triple-double. 34-10-7. and seven. And what's shocking about this, and I, I never thought I would say this, I think Devin Booker's becoming a good point guard. Devin Booker is really seeing the floor. He's definitely an excellent half-court point guard. I'm still not ready to say game seven playoff series. I want him bringing it up the core 94 feet against a Patrick Beverly type of person. Okay, There's still that dynamic of bringing the ball up under pressure. But it's not like he's not a good passer. It's not like they can't make good passes to get out of pressure. But during the regular season, he's a perfect point guard and he's doing a great job of leading the offense as the as the initial ball handler. That part's going well. Now, I would like to see, I hope at times this year we see him get trapped a little bit in the backcourt and see if that becomes an improvement. Uh, Coach, what did you see from Booker's offense? Yeah, I know we had a, a lapse in, in defense, um, in transition defense not getting matched up, you know, which is unacceptable. So, you know, I, I called timeout and got after him a little bit about, you know, it's, it's time to wake up. It's time to get, get control of this game. And um, I think during that stretch, um, you know, you, I mean, you alluded to it. Book just had a had a stretch where he took over a few offensive possessions. You know, and um, he is he's capable of doing that. Uh, we kept trying to counter what they were doing defensively. You know, to put our guys in in position to uh, to use it against them. And I think during that stretch is where we we did it the best. It's funny. I did a poor job setting up that question for you. It. What made me laugh about it is the question was, here is a stretch where Booker really seemed to take over after the timeout. What did you say in the timeout? What did you see from Booker? And, you know, and, and tell us about you know, the difference between having Booker in this game versus last night, Booker's offense. It was all about Booker's offense coming out of a timeout. And it's funny the way Frank Vogel started it by saying, well, the reason why we called the timeout is because this defense was bad, this defense was bad, this, and he goes on a rant about 
rant for Frank Vogel about how there was problems defensively that needed to be taken care of and they weren't taken care of and that he had to call a timeout remind guys this is what we want then coming out of the timeout that's when Booker took over offensively so he really didn't tell anything to Booker offensively but the defense led to offense and Booker was on his game he's He's having a fantastic season. Like, no one's going to look at Booker as MVP because there's so many other great players in the NBA. He doesn't get that type of attention. But when you look at the Suns' record with and without Booker, it is so dynamic. Now, you could make an argument, wait a minute. Even in losses, Kevin Durant scoring 35 points. He's only missed a couple of games. KD has been unbelievable. And it's not fair that you, you lose one guy, they start losing, and you act like KD's not that great. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying there's been games KD wasn't there and they win because Booker's there. Booker's season has been phenomenal. When you look around the rest of the league, there's great candidates. I'm not saying that there aren't. But I would like to see Booker talked about in that vein a lot more often. Last one from Frank Vogel. And this nice win against Memphis was more on the effort and the energy that Josh Okogie brings and how he's becoming a little more solidified in the rotation. Yeah, he's all over the place defensively. You know, he's, uh, he's got that ability. You know, to really, really impact the game uh, with his defense and with his energy and hustle. You know, whether it's crashing the boards, getting a loose ball, setting screens, um, you know, or just guarding his own man or making weak side plays, you know. So he was really good during that stretch. A lot of people might like Bates Diop because of what he can do at the power forward defensively. Grayson Allen because he's... He's not a great defender, but he's a smart defender, and he hits threes well, and he's the best at attacking the basket. Gosh, I don't want to say this. I'm enjoying watching Grayson Allen play. (laughs) Grayson Allen was number two on my list of hated guys with Pat Bev number one and Grayson Allen number two. That wasn't too bad to say, was it? (laughs) It's... My, the reason why I brought – let me tell you why I brought up the subject is I am enjoying a Kogi as the number – not the number five is in position, but as in the fifth starter the most. Booker at the point, a Kogi at the two. I I look at maybe a three-guard lineup when Bradley Beal comes back. So you got Bradley Beal, KD at the four, Nurkic at the five. And the reason why I like that is you legitimately have five guys that can bring the ball up. And Bradley Beal can guard a small forward. And you've still get and for what he can't do defensively, you get a Kogi's hustle and work on the glass. So you're gonna get more rebounds out of a two guard than almost any other two guard in the lead. So I like that group. But there's an argument that could be made, have Grayson Allen in the starting lineup and have a Kogi, the main guard off the bench. So you're gaining rebounding and a little bit of offense, not gaining offense, but you're, you're still maintaining a level of offense. If you take out book, if you take out Grayson, if you take out Bradley Beal, but then I had to just sit there and it just hit me in the face that, you know, I don't want to be, I hate homers, hate it. And that's why I've always looked at you and said, I'm never going to be a homer or I'm never going to be a hater. 
I'm going to tell you things about your favorite team that you don't like that'll piss you off sometimes. And I'm going to gush about guys when I think they deserve it, even if they're on a team I'm rooting for. I'll even do it for Kyler Murray. When guys deserve it, I think it's my job to give them the flowers they deserve, talk about it, and 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 do it you know in an unabashed manner. But liking Grayson Allen is borderline Homer <laughs> because he's been such a jerk for his whole career. Now, sometimes it's unfair because maybe it is reputation. And he's living off, and I'm I'm not letting go of the reputation. And he even said in his opening press conference, the way people feel about me are based on my actions at Duke. I was very immature at Duke. I've got to wear that the rest of my life. But that's not what I do now. Yet I've seen him do a lot of different things, both at Memphis and, 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 and in Milwaukee. I haven't seen those things here. I've seen a little forearm shiver every now and then. But nothing, I would say, is different than a lot of other players at the NBA level. But his aggression in attacking the cup is better than a lot of other guys on the team. And he does play angry, which I like. His courage to take shots, I like. I actually wish he would pass it a little bit more. But you need guys that believe in themselves. Um, he's he's added. He's been a good addition so far. I admit I'm sitting here waiting for some blow up. I'm waiting for him to go complete jerk on the court, and I'm going to lose it, <laughs> especially now that I'm starting to like watching him. But I'm still going to root or vote for a Kogi as the fifth starter when Bradley Beal gets back. I just think I just think he brings so much to the table. It's just fantastic. Uh, Jeff Weir Production. I believe I'm done with breaks. Am I? Um, I believe we played the third one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure. I, I believe we did one after the four-minute offense, one um, and then one after Doug's big one, and then one after Cardinals. We did. You're okay, right. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure. So the last thing uh, before we bring in uh, Steve McCollum, and let's talk a little main event with Steve and what's coming up on his show and how his weekend was, is I got to give a couple minutes to the Coyotes. It is incredible the last four champions now not the last four years of championships because this is off the top of my head and i might butcher this but i believe four of the last five were won by four teams because no five of the last how do you say that the last five years were won by four teams there you go so you've got vegas uh having won the last one the Blues won theirs five years ago, and then there's two years back-to-back of the Tampa Bay Lightning having won. And that's why it's a little confusing. And then the year before, uh, Vegas was Colorado. Look at this stretch of the last four home games. and or a lot, Three home games and a game against uh, Las Vegas. They won, I think I got the schedule right, home against Colorado at Las Vegas, home against the Lightning, home against the Blues. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I believe that was the schedule. So four wins against the four teams who have won the last five Stanley Cups. And they've all come in here and lost, except for Vegas, who lost in Vegas to make it even better. Now, no, I I do think we could argue that the Coyotes are better than the Blues. And with the way Connor Ingram is playing, 
a little better than Binghamton, I, I, I think that's a fair statement to say that they're better than the Blues. There's no way you're going to get me to say they're better than the other three teams. But on those nights they were, and that's all that matters. And the Lightning are, excuse me, the uh, uh, Coyotes are just fire right now because of how well Bukes has playing in, in front of the opponent's net, how well Ingram's playing in front of their net. And I don't feel like Clayton Keller has really dominated. I don't feel like Clayton Keller has been, he's not, not, not been bad at all. But he hasn't been this all-world super all-star player during this stretch, and the Coyotes are still playing well. Now, as, as you gush about a four-game winning streak, keep in mind they came off of a three-game losing streak to get there. But in this stretch, this key stretch of the season with seven of eight games at home, they're four and two in those games. And now they go up against a Washington Capitals team where it's time to start feeling some confidence and, uh, and Connor Ingram being hot. I-, I would love to know, is he a hot goaltender or is he a good goaltender? I think that's the major question right now. If this is actually who Connor Ingram is becoming, it's, it's kind of a game changer right now for the Coyotes. But I wanted to give them a free plug uh, for their game. And Vegas has actually taken them seriously, making them – uh, the favorite tonight, granted, it's, it's Washington. I'm not acting like the Capitals are winning a Stanley Cup. I realize they have in the last decade, but I mean this year. But still, who would have thought that we're talking about the Coyotes in this positive uh, of a manner? Steve McCollum, Dale Hellestray coming up every Monday through Friday from 8 to 10. As uh, we spend a, a couple minutes talking with Steve McCollum. Steve, how was your weekend? It was good. What'd you do? Nothing. Oh, okay. Is that why it was good? Yeah, usually. Well, I mean, there was so much on that it's one of those weekends where you can still have a good weekend just with a television. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of duds. A lot of duds like we expected. Yeah. 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 Well, so, okay. You know, I'm sure – I don't know if you want to spoil everything. You can make us wait to <laughs> tee it up. But the, the number one topic in the world today is everybody's thoughts on the college football playoff committee. If you are on the college football playoff committee, who are the four teams you're voting for? Uh, I would have gone Georgia and Alabama. Uh, you want the four, spe- four best teams in that you want to. You were right on the hypocrisy side, but you missed the biggest part of that hypocrisy as well, that SMU Liberty, right, the Power Five conference that gets in. That's interesting. Uh, because uh, SMU had a better strength of schedule. They had two losses compared to Liberty, but they played two group of five teams in the You're Big exactly 12 and right. lost. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get into all that as well. Obviously, uh, famed SMU. Bigger than Dickerson, bigger than Craig James. <laughs> Dale Ellis Jay is on the program. Uh, so, uh, you know, controversy bounce. But uh, you can't say that Liberty just kept winning, and that's why they got in, and then say at the same time, well, it's who you play in the regular season. Yep, yep. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you know, SMU played two good teams, lost them both, uh, and say they got to stay out. It's, it's, it's a joke. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's this is the year to blow it up, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that, that part's year. very true. <laughs> that's, that's a great opinion because if you are not putting in Florida State despite their undefeated record, then why are you putting in Liberty with their undefeated yeah. record? And Liberty's not the better team. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. And then on top of that, the, the point of Alabama-Georgia that's the one thing that I thought was so gutless by the committee. It was almost as if they said, we're not going to get into this debate of Texas versus Alabama. Yeah. So we're just going to put them both in, and we're certainly not going to piss off Michigan and Washington being undefeated. Now we're done. There's our four, and we no. don't even have a real debate on 
is Georgia one of the top four? Is Florida State deserving? Yeah. You know, and all, things like that. Yeah, I mean, all these people say Texas. Uh, I put a video out yesterday on it, but I said, uh, you know, Texas, you know, beat Alabama in the regular season. Okay. Um, but Georgia beat everybody in the regular season except for Alabama. <laughs> yes, so yes. why don't – oh, but we don't talk about that. No, yes, no, no, no. Yes, but I Texas agree. beat Alabama. And it's it's just a stupid conversation that people have to justify their team in. Look, every year there's one team that doesn't deserve to be in, and this year just happens to be Texas. Yeah, yeah. And then who? this doesn't matter, but I'll bring it up for the sake of conversation. It looks like a lot of people are moving towards Jaden Daniels as the Heisman Trophy winner. Well – if Florida State knocks off the player that everybody is saying is yes. the best in football, yeah. and, and not that Florida's good, but you still have two SEC road wins as an ACC team, and then you're saying, up oh, none of that matters on top of it. And then here's the shocker. No one is arguing whether Michigan deserves to be in or not. And I'm not really arguing against them being in. But compare Michigan's joke schedule with Florida State. And it's pretty identical. Well, see, but I don't go – see, it's the four best teams that are supposed to be, and that's always been their contention, right? Yeah. It's, so the four best teams. And this is the first year where you go, this isn't the four best teams. Yeah. And usually – here's what I'll give the committee credit for. Usually three and four don't matter, right? They're mm-hmm. going to get trounced, whether, it's, whether they win their, their, their first game and get to the championship, there's always a trouncing that's coming. Yeah. And it's usually that three or four team that gets trounced. Yes. And uh, so give the committee credit. This year it's kind of open, right? Michigan's never won a playoff game. They, this is their third year in a row they've been there. They've mm-hmm. never won. Washington looks like, quite frankly, the luckiest team, I guess you could say, in this four so that texas washington game one of the team probably isn't deserving to move on to play either uh you know what michigan or alabama in, in that next round and then whoever in that championship game probably gonna yeah. end up blowing everybody yes. out so does it matter in the end no it's stupid next year we get to argue this with a 12 game playoff with a bunch of teams that don't belong so <laughs> it's all just dumb and we gotta deal with it now i hope this is not your opinion but i will tell you the worst opinion i've heard of the weekend and I keep hearing it over and over again, is how incredible the Orange Bowl is going to be this year with Georgia and Florida State in it. Yeah, no. And the reason, okay, good. the reason why I laugh at that opinion, number one, do you really think the players of these two teams, especially Georgia, are going to say, wait, I've got a chance for redemption. I'm not going to get ready for the NFL draft. Do you really yeah. think guys aren't transferring in the portal anyway? There's a month before this game, yeah. and you re- and it doesn't mean a thing. None of these guys are getting into it. They're proving nothing the, the by what happens. The difference is, is Florida State just not good offensively without Travis as their quarterback. Right, so they're, right. they're in trouble on that side. But then on the Georgia side, yeah, a lot of guys will sit out, guys will transfer, but Georgia just, their third string guys can start in any other program <laughs> right, in the country. You're right, you're right. So those guys have something to prove. So, uh, no, in the worst bowl game on the face of the planet, uh, Alamo, no, I'm just kidding with you. Um, <laughs> sorry, Arizona fans. Uh, but uh, is, is the Fiesta Bowl, what a, what a joke of a game. That's the sad. Fiesta Bowl always prides itself in taking that lower tier team team oh we're the guys that take that team well enjoy your uh nobody coming to your game and watching it because uh whatever happened to the fiesta ball a once great uh bowl game is now just trash yeah it's it's that's and that but i don't blame the fiesta ball i blame the committee because they're, they're the ones that i i've that chose it, right? The yeah, but even Oregon, well, because you have, you know, you take that power five. Right. The, the, the Orange, the Fiesta Bowl is always the bowl that takes that extra team unless they're in the championship. Yeah, yeah. They always are like, we'll take them. 
No, it's 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 it's, it's supposed to be it. the rotation. Yeah, it's but like it's, not. it's their turn to do yeah, it. Yeah, but it never is. They always just take it. How many? How many? What was one year? We had TCU and some garbage yeah, team, yeah. two bottom tier teams playing yeah. the Fiesta Bowl, and they, they it, pride themselves on this, Doug. And it's a joke. Yeah, it it's used a joke to be. It out. rotated amongst three of the four. Rose Bowl never had to participate. Yeah. So it rotated amongst three of the four, but then they expanded it and added Cotton and Peach. Yeah. So now it's supposed to rotate between five bowls yeah. of who gets stuck every year with the. Uh, with the my favorite is seeing like who get, has to fake excitement for a bowl game, which, you know, uh, my favorite was Norvell of Florida State and that press conference not giving a credit, like kept his kept his microphone on mute the whole yeah. time. <laughs> and it just looked like he just wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Right. Uh, but my favorite thing is, is looking at it and like teams like New Mexico State, man, they they surprising year. They made it this far. You know, all this stuff. They finally get to their conference game. Oh, my God. How exciting is that? And then uh, they get rewarded by going to Albuquerque for their bowl game. And that stuff cracks me up. Like, your reward is Albuquerque. And how would you like to be Notre Dame today? Hey, go down to El Paso for the Sun Bowl, yeah, guys. Yeah, that was one. I mean, the Sun Bowl has to be jacked oh, up. If, if you're an Oregon State Notre fan, Dame. you got to be jacked up because yeah. you got to go play Notre Dame. Uh, but Florida State not getting into the Final Four. That, did you see that controversy yesterday where ACC was delaying bowl stuff because they had a fit? Everybody had their bowl rotations, assuming Florida State was getting yeah. in, and they all had to go back and talk to everybody and be like, yeah, you're not going to this one anymore. Everybody got <laughs> everybody got knocked down a tier. I that was that's still amazing to me. I and of course full credit to Travis. That tweet was I do not let's not that anybody doubted. I do not have the level of, of class that Travis does. To send out a tweet, I wish I would have broken my leg sooner yeah. so the committee um, could have seen how good my teammates are. Here here's uh here's the problem that you have. Um uh, with what they did to Florida State, one, uh, like you said, it's going to one, one, the committee wants the ACC to be broken up. They're on that bandwagon. And they told you that yesterday because what's the quickest way to break that up is not put Florida State in. ACC's like, well, we can't even get in when we go undefeated. Yeah. We need to move conferences. And the Florida State's the loudest Florida one State in that argument. In. Yeah. Uh, right? So watch, watch this coming up. And then number two is you're going to see teams hide injuries late in the season now when it's a big star. Now, Florida State would have lied about his injury and said, oh, it's not that bad. He'll be back for the championship round game. Uh, you know, we just have to get through these two. He'll be back for the playoffs. You're going to see teams start to do that because that's what the committee and, and these guys said to do. I mean, obviously, if you if, if they're coming out with an air cast, that'll be hard. But, man, that's a good point by Steve of, oh, yeah, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. Oh, sorry. We didn't realize he won't be back when we get when, right when we get to that point. Uh, game time decision. Game time decision for the championship game. What's he got? Oh, broken ankle, torn ACL, and he had a heart attack on the field. But it's game time decision. He'll be ready. He'll be ready to go in three weeks. That committee. I really think they embarrass themselves. And like I said, it's more about the hypocrisy. If you have Florida State in and you don't have Alabama or Texas in, I'm like, you know, okay. I would have put Alabama in over Texas, but I have no problem with those of you that disagree with that. If you want head-to-head in September to matter, knock yourself out, okay? I disagree. I think Alabama is one of the four best teams, but okay. 
Go ahead. You, you, you've got a great argument. You're not being a hypocrite if that's your argument. But if it's all about the regular season and not about the eye test, then Florida State's got to be in. And if it's all about the eye test, how is Georgia not in? Georgia's beating Michigan. Georgia is beating Texas. How is Georgia not in? You guys, just I don't care what the rules are. Just say this is what we're doing and don't be a hypocritical fool. And then I, I love Steve's point. If it's being undefeated for Liberty that earns a quote-unquote BCS, what are now called the uh, New Year's Day Bowls, if that's what it takes, then why did they get it over SMU when SMU's ranked higher and you just showed Florida State's undefeated record? Doesn't matter. See, that's, that's the kind of thing. Just set the rules and don't touch it. All right, here we go. Versus Vegas today. Oh, a little frustrated. A little frustrated. I was 0-2 Thursday coming into the weekend thinking we can get things on track. I went 1-2 over the weekend. Really can't believe the Toronto Raptors. Nick's on the back end of a back-to-back, and the Raptors were actually um, getting a point and a half. And I said, I don't need that point and a half. Here we go. Uh, Raptors lose 119-106, to 106, get shelled. I thought I knew the Mid-American Conference well. I've seen Toledo play four games. I've seen that other team play uh, three times, I think. So I said Toledo would cover the eight. And the uh, the bad guys had not beaten Toledo in years. And them won 23-14 over Toledo. So the Rockets didn't cover because they didn't win. The only game I got right, I said San Antonio on the back end of a back-to-back Friday night. No way they beat a hot Zion Pelicans team. New Orleans had to cover 12 and a half, though. I was a little nervous. I knew the Pelicans would win. I was a little nervous about covering. They covered the 12 and a half with a nice 15-point win. They won 121-106. So I got it by two and a half points. That gave me a one and two record. And I'm one, uh, 1049, 956, and seven now overall. I didn't find any good back-to-backs in the NBA or the NHL. No college games that I really feel like I know both sides that I can get the spread correct. And then I looked through the NBA, don't like it. I found one game, one game in hockey tonight that I stand on the table for. Arizona Coyotes tonight beating Washington. Now, if you want to take the puck line, okay, the Yotes get great juice. It's So it's minus a goal and a half is the puck line. So if the Coyotes win by two or more, your juice is plus 210. That means you bet 100, you get $210. You more than double your money if you bet on the Coyotes to win by two or more against the Caps. I am one where I I see the value in that. But I just care about being right. Okay? I only bet five bucks. So the juice doesn't matter to me as much. Now, it would be nice to say, boom, here's an extra, probably about 11 bucks if I bet $5. Let's go for it. But I just want to be right. The juice on the money line is minus 122. 
which means bet $122, win $100. Or in my case, I didn't quite do the math, but bet $5, and I probably make about $4.15, okay? I'm right, though. I'm right. So I'm taking that. The juice doesn't price me out. I'm going to take the Coyotes on the money line against Washington. Of course, I'm a little nervous about a letdown after this incredible four-game win streak. But they've had enough time, rest, relaxation over the weekend. Let's go against Washington tonight. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus, go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com. That's unplugged at whirlwind.com. And check out, really, in my opinion, for a golfer, the greatest Christmas present you can buy somebody is a Whirlwind Plus membership. And if you don't want to spend the $300, if that's too much to buy somebody a gift for $300, how about this? Just buy them like a two-month pass. They could be a Whirlwind Plus member for just two months. It's $34 a month. Just one month. Give it to them for December. Give it to them for January. One month, $34. And now they save every time they play golf in January. And you're easily going to save $34 by your second round of golf. And you get 15% off everything at Civilic and the Pro Shop. We have our amazing second annual unplugged holiday event coming up on Saturday where we will be at Bell's National Kitchen. I'm going to be there starting at 4 o'clock. I'm going until Jennifer says we got to go home at least until 10 o'clock. So if you've got a party to go to, then come to ours first and then go to your party. If you've got an early party to go to Saturday, then come to ours after. If you have no friends and have no party, then come join me for the whole time. And eat dinner. I can't wait to see you. Sanctioned event. If you're in the Unplugged Army, show that economic impact that we can have so all the other teams know not to mess with the Unplugged Army. And we're going to start winning some championships around here if we can keep growing this thing. Also sponsored by Burrito Express. I'm playing golf with those guys coming up on Friday. Excited to see Angel and everybody. Home of the best breakfast burrito there is. Rosati's is the official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged. There's also the best beer in the city is A-Mountain Amber Ale at 100 Mile Brew. And don't forget Parker and Sons. The main event is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.